Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Jonathan Buchanan to the show. Jonathan works in film production, and he wears many hats, but he's primarily been a prop master since 2007. He's worked on all kinds of stuff, but a few things off his resume are the show's Key and Peel, Heathers, and Teachers. He is also a musician, and he writes, sings, and plays guitar in his anti-folk band, Campfire Cassettes. They have three LPs and an EP, and their music is available anywhere you can stream it. And Jonathan's songs are odd and funny, poignant and raw, and often full of religious imagery. They're a really fun listen, and I'm excited to get to know more about the brain behind it all. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm hanging, man. We're having this recording in the mid-morning, and uh, it's sunny outside, and I'm feeling uh, awake and rested. How are you? I'm good. I got up a little early. I had to go do a COVID test at uh, Universal, but uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. Yeah, right. Yeah. We talked briefly about this, that you did it yourself. You applied it yourself. Yeah, did it myself. It was only halfway up the nose, not the whole way in. So uh, it wasn't bad. Tickled a little bit. How many other places on your body did you rub it? That was that was it. Both <laughs> nostrils, nice, nice and thorough. Uh, I think I did a good job. We'll see. We'll see. No, you didn't get it on your. You didn't take like an armpit check or. No, no. I don't. Who knows? There, who knows what's going on there? <laughs> Listen, before we get into the meat of the show, we got to talk about our mutual friend Angie Parrish. Yeah. Who is integral to us? One, knowing each other, and two, being on this call with each other right now. Angie and I went to college together. Did you two meet on a set at some point? I think Angie and I have met several times. The time I remember was at a house party, probably at Todd's house, our bass player. But uh, I think we've met on, I think we've worked on sets together before and, and met a few times. But at a house party, we really got to talking about music one night. That's probably, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago now. Were you writing Campfire Cassette stuff before you met Angie? Yeah, I started Campfire Cassettes as just me as a singer-songwriter. And then I talked to my buddy, my drummer, Bobby Wu, from my old band. I talked him into being the drummer. And then, really, I talked to Angie at this party. And uh, we just hit it off talking about music, talking about the weird folk stuff she used to do when she was a kid. And I think I, think I asked her right then and there to sing a song at my next show. And then I think after that show, it was just like, well, why don't you just join the band? She's just a great, she gets the humor and she's a really good harmonizer and, and has a good voice and she can play the spoons. She's awesome. Oh, I know, no, she's, she's great. That's awesome. Well, I love your shows. I, I, love, I love your music, man. So you, are, did you, have you been writing during this time? Uh, yeah, actually a lot at the beginning. Um, I wrote a six song EP that, I don't know when that's going to come out, We'll see. But uh, I wrote it. I recorded it. Um, really, I'm just in the process of getting it mixed right now. It's uh, mostly, I guess it's mostly, uh, it's like half COVID related, half not. But it's really fun. It's different. Uh, and I did it all at home. I did a weird <laughs> laid down 
just uh, I found some programs that did drums and bass and uh, did the guitars and vocals and yeah, I haven't told the band about it. They'll probably be who knows. It, oh, great! I'm, I'm really out. glad that we get this is a nice reveal. <laughs> what the hell? When did you do that? <laughs> like, but uh, yeah. Hey, man, so, was yeah. listening to that cool God and Other Delicacies podcast you did. What the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, man, congrats. Look, everyone's got to do what they got to do during this time. We got to keep active. We got to keep creating something. We got to keep our sanity. Um, I'm glad you're finding ways to put it out there. And I look forward to hearing it at some point. We have a lot of show left ahead. Before we get there, what did you have for breakfast? Your pre-COVID or post-COVID breakfast this morning? Um, I just had a Cliff Bar. That was it. I got. I'm up such like, a Cliff Bar fan. You are speaking to such a Cliff Bar lover. I don't know how much you love it, but I love them quite a bit. No, I do. I mean, I love the peanut butter ones. Me that, too. The other ones, I think, taste like trash. I totally agree with you. Except I like this one that's called the Sierra Mix. I think it's called Sierra. It's like a granola mix. It has a little bit of chocolate, though. It's sort of so. It's a little okay. There's a little indulgent. There's a little delicacy to it. Not to make a pun. When I'm working, that's usually because I'm stressed out. I usually don't want to eat, so I just eat that. It's very smart, especially on set. So I'm with you. I connect. We may never connect on anything any more deeply than this. That's it. Jonathan That's it. Buchanan, this is <laughs> this is maybe the deepest we go. We'll find oh, out yeah. over this next hour, but this, this shall, might be shall. the high point. <laughs> um, listen, let's dive in. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Well, I mean, I was born into a religious family. We were evangelicals before I knew what an evangelical was. And we're a Christian family from as far as anybody knows, you know, going back centuries, who knows? So it was just assumed. That's just what we did. You know, we went to church and we believed in God and that was it. And everybody, you know, especially on my father's side, everyone was the same. On my mom's side, there was Catholics and there was people that weren't as churchy and religious as us, which we looked down upon, I guess, incorrectly, but uh, but we did. But yeah, it was just there from the beginning. So did you have siblings? Yeah, one sister. Is she older or younger? She's uh, two years younger. Did she stay in the religion at all? She, man, she went all in. Uh, yeah, she she stayed in and then she went to Christian college for four years and then she married a guy at the school that was a missionary and then she became a missionary and really i mean she was a missionary in brazil for like 10 years right wow. now they're on an extended furlough in indiana so you were raised in i saw pennsylvania yeah small town central pennsylvania so was your schooling i mean there aren't evangelical grade schools right no there are when we were uh it was for kindergarten it was this pretty big church. We wore little uniforms. We wore blue pants and we either wore red, white, or blue shirts with little collars and button-down shirts. And then we wore clip-on ties that were blue that had little American flags on them. Wow. They were, so they were super patriotic too. The oh, whole it was, thing was, yeah, it was nuts. Wow. It was, uh, it was crazy. You know, I mean, that was the height of, uh, that's the bicentennial era too. It was probably 77. Wow. When I started school, 74, or yeah, 76, 77. So are you a really devout child? Is that what happens? Are you super devout when you're young? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say everybody was, but I was in the sense that I was a good student. 
being good was rewarded and I liked that. And uh, I was just a good kid. You know, through sixth grade, I really didn't have any reason not to be. Uh, And I didn't have any really inclinations not to just go along with the program, believe what I was told and just follow the rules. You know, then you just become a teenager and, you know, shit gets weirder and harder. And, you know, you're just fighting against everybody at that point. But still, throughout high school, still, I mean, I had ups and downs. But uh, I would say the last few years of high school, I was still, I was a very devout uh, kid. You know, all my friends were from church. I mean, are you doing anything like drinking or drugs or anything in high school? Are you guys getting away with that? Or are you mostly still on the straight and narrow? Probably like 10th grade, you know, I, I went to public school, like at private school, there was 12 people in my class. You know, I was class president. You know, I knew where I fit in. I was good at, I was good, really good at math and I was okay at this. And I, and I was an above average student in general. Uh, status-wise and grade-wise, et cetera. And then I went to public school and it's huge. And suddenly I realized I'm a year behind in math. And, you know, like just everything, you know, everything that you might've been above average at, suddenly you're like, oh, I'm just average. Maybe, maybe not. You know, like I'm not, (laughs) you know, I'm just, just all, you know, it's no big deal. So you spend the year, I spent the first year just trying to figure out how to, how to fit in, how to keep my head down, stay out of trouble, and sort of that trying to figure out like, how do I be this Christian kid in a secular high school, you know? Because you still, it was just still kind of awkward, you know? Just even like, where'd you come from? Just explaining to kids that you came from the Christian school, you're like, it's kind of weird. Yeah. But yeah. then 10th grade, 10th grade, I sort of found a, a new group of friends you know, kind of that metalhead crowd. This is like late eight, mid to late 80s, you know, jean jackets with Iron Maiden's patches on the back, kind of that crowd. And we, I drank, like I was kind of their new friend trying to figure out if I could hang with them. I started smoking. I drank a couple times, but by like 11th grade, I switched gears completely and started hanging out with my church friends that went to a different high school and those kids were all straight laced and we so after that we didn't do anything in high school drinking wise or otherwise so what's your relationship like to your parents when you're young is it easy and you just want to follow the rules and you you love them and things are good uh yeah it was it was real easy i always had a great relationship with my mother uh my dad and i always got along that started changing in I would say 10th grade, you know, when you start dealing with like wanting to stay out, getting the car, curfew, uh, you know, that became a problem to some extent. But I got lucky once I switched back to hanging out with my church friends in like 11th grade, those were all people my parents knew. You know, they've known them since I was a kid. Mm. They know their parents. They know we might stay out till three in the morning we are just playing cards or watching movies. Like we're not getting into trouble and we never, we never let them down as far as that goes. You know, all those years, we really just, we were kind of nerdy, I guess. You know, we just weren't those kind of kids. So we had a good relationship with our own parents and a great relationship with each other's friends' parents. You know, we were all, they really liked us. We had a really nice 
group that is pretty amazing. So when do you start getting the first inklings that maybe you're really not loving continuing to be wrapped in this particular evangelical environment? I would say sophomore year of college. College was really interesting. You know, I went in, it was really exciting. I, I didn't go to college with any of my church friends, which I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't. And uh, I joined like Campus Crusade for Christ. So I was trying to get involved in that stuff, but also college was just so fascinating and, you know, kind of being on your own. And Where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, just like an hour from where my parents lived. I sort of had my Campus Crusade friends, but then I had everybody else in the dorms and my girlfriend's friends. And so there was a lot of different influences and it was a little hard to straddle the whole thing and kind of put it all in a neat package. You know, extremism is much easier, I guess. So I tried to do that. And I think, you know, sophomore year, I was just had a lot more. I just couldn't, couldn't figure out how to do it and feel good about it all. Uh, and I had a lot of questions and there just wasn't, you know, any Christian organization I've ever been a part of, unfortunately, there's never been a good format for for questions. Usually just the, the answers are usually simple or dumbed down and they kind of just want you to shut up and deal with it. And it's hard. You know, you start thinking about why we do certain things the way we do them. And, you know, why are these friends supposedly damned forever, et cetera. So that was tough. But then your reaction is to go to a Christian college at junior year. Well, yes, correct. That was a strange reaction. I mean, to be honest, what happened was I I was sort of, you know, I was living a fun life. I, w- I wouldn't say I was living uh, a very wholesome life at that time in my junior year. Basically, I had a really weird breakup, bad breakup that I did not take well. And my solution was to get away. And I just wanted to leave the school. And as I recall, I think my rationale was no one's going to let me just leave middle of the year to switch schools unless I decide to go to this Christian college. You know, then I'll be allowed to leave. Right, because they'll be like, oh, this is exciting. He's going back yeah. to the Christian stuff. Yeah, and, and you know, when things, when you're a religious youngster like I was, when things go shitty, you tend to, you figure out what you did wrong, how you steered off the path, you sort of recommit your life and go, well, if I give you this back, will you, you know, help me now? So I kind of, several times in my life, I sort of gave up after what I considered failings and, uh, and just kind of gave, gave everything over. So that was sort of that. And I moved out to Indiana that winter, winter of 94. Did you have a, a rekindling of faith? Yeah, I did. I did. I really did. And I tried to fit in there. I had a good... I, my sister had good friends there and I became friends with some really uh, cool people, people I'm still friends with today. And I really tried to fit as well as I could, but uh, it was a very conservative school. 
And after like a semester, we had a semester and like a summer of a lot of fun. But that last year, what would have been my senior year was just bad news as far as like, I just couldn't figure out how to fit into the school. Like even, even when I felt I was being very conservative, I just, it just wasn't conservative enough. Jonathan, we're going to take our first break. Okay, great. All right. We'll be back in a minute. At times like this, it is necessary that we ask ourselves what is worth talking about, what is worth listening to, and what we each can do to make the world around us better in our own small way. Discussions revolving around a person's beliefs and perspectives on God are something I personally can speak to, and my intention is to create a space where our deepest feelings about God and life can be expressed, heard, and better understood. That is one of the motivations behind God and Other Delicacies, and it is my humble hope that it contributes to the positive side of the cultural ledger. It is my intention to continue to create opportunities here for the presentation of those ideas that are different than mine, so that I can listen to them, come to understand them better, and hopefully discover ways in which I and each of us can participate in fostering communities that are ultimately more fair and loving for all. All right, everybody, we're back with Jonathan. Jonathan, did you feel like you had a strong private personal relationship with God or with your spirituality. One thing you talk about multiple times in the first section is your religion in relation to the rules and being a good student and kind of doing things what you felt was the right way or what you thought was being told was the right way. And I'm wondering if you felt like you had a private relationship to your spirituality that was able to move in and out of these different environments that you were kind of trying to find a home in? Or do you feel like that's not something that actually was the dominating, your dominating relationship to religion when you were younger? I think I always had a personal, private side of my religious beliefs that I was trying to, ideas that I was trying to hammer out, questions I was trying to get answered, but that Throughout the journey, through the different institutions and through different friend groups, et cetera, you know, it just discussing those things was never popular or easy. And I usually just ended up taking on or mimicking, you know, the beliefs of those around me and then resenting them, resenting those people and those institutions for that oftentimes pulling out thinking, I'm going to do this from scratch again. I'm going to start over again and uh, failing at it again. (laughs) That was my main thing I did. You know, when I, uh, after college, I got married. And uh, that was interesting because at the time I was really trying to I just had such a back and forth with religion. I mean, honestly, sort of Jekyll and Hyde, like on one level, trying to really engage and take it serious. And then starting in the mid nineties, you know, starting to flirt with the idea of just walking away from it all. But by the time I got married, I think my girlfriend and I, because she was, had backed away from religion. She was raised in it too. I think, I think she was at some point before we got married, we were both on the same page for a minute 
and both back in. And then by the end, I feel like we were both out again. Not on the same page in any way, but out. So you bonded on this shared evangelical upbringing. Yeah, yeah, it was very similar. And you were, when you met each other, people that could connect about the questions you had and the struggles you were going through to try to be in the religion and then try to be out of it. And you were both sometimes trying to be in it and both sometimes trying to be out of it. Yeah, I think usually on different days. I don't, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, right. I think we connected because we, we had a similar background, but I don't know, but our reasons for walking away from it or not may have been different. I don't know, that was a, that was a real... It was a real struggle, and I would say a real, uh, you know, the whole thing was kind of a mistake, but... How long were you married? Oh, just two years. Okay, yeah. and, and those it, were your, last... like, what years of your life? Oh, 23 to 25. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I just think, I mean, I think I was too young, too unstable. I didn't have a clue who I was yet or who I wanted to be yet. And so I just think it was pretty doomed uh, from the get-go. But uh, the religious aspect and being on different pages uh, a lot of times was difficult. And I think, you know, a lot of that is me. I'm really, I could sort of flip-flop between being insanely devout and to just wanting to get rid of it altogether. Yeah, it doesn't sound like there's many in-betweens. In I'm not an world. in-betweener. <laughs> I consider, I could, you know, I think, I think people think that the, that, Atheism and, and being a devout zealot are very, that there's a large distance between the two. And I think you could look at it that way. But in my case, like some people take a long journey to get from one side to the other. Uh, in my case, it's more like a horseshoe and, and I can jump from one end to the other pretty fast. Oh, wow. How interesting. You know, I was introduced to atheism in, at Christian college, actually. my uh, One of my best friends, he decided to walk away. And I was like, shocked, impressed, shocked, fascinated. And he was the only person, I mean, he was one of the only people at that time that I could really talk deeply about, about all those strange ideas. And uh, he was fascinating and really kind of set a path and made it seem plausible. Like, you know, the walking away from faith wouldn't be the end of the world. And yeah, and I followed him for a while and then I, I came back out of, you know, out of fear. And then again, just the same pattern when my marriage fell apart, I basically just broke down and thought it's, it's because I walked away from this again and I have to, you know, double down on my faith and then my life will be great. And that's what I did. You know, in 98, in 98, I... You know, I got back into church. Where are you in the country in, in 98? 98, I'm in Indiana. At some point, 98, I start visiting a college friend in Chicago, and I start going to a church with her. Okay. A very, very fundamental church, very, uh, not, not, not much of a thinking man's church, very, very heart you know, heart led, you know, a bunch of people, bunch of people that messed up their life and are willing to give over their mind to, uh, to have some peace. Nice yeah. people, really great, loving, nice, friendly people, but really not where I should have gone. But 
I ended up moving to Chicago, joined that church, really got way deep into it. You know, what does that mean? It was mean? insane. What does that mean? I mean, teaching. You're teaching like other adults or children? Yeah, like teaching classes sometimes, Sunday school, whatever, helping out with the parking in the morning, painting wow. stuff for them, like really like doing, helping out with the kids programs. Like just, I mean, I was there five days a week, just went bananas. When you think back about some of the things that you were teaching at that time, when you think back at some of the things you used to say, what's something that comes to your mind right now that you're like, oh, I wish I didn't used to teach this particular phrase that used to come out of my mouth or this particular oh. subject or... Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in that era, especially, I, you know, I, I read the Bible through several times and it was interesting. I didn't, I wasn't always happy with what I read so some of my re my interpretations were harsher than others, um, you know, to the point where I thought, you know, we always believed in eternal security where once you're saved, if you know what I mean by saved, you know, you ask Jesus into your heart when you're a little kid usually. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, what they told us and still, still do tell us is, you know, a lot, most churches that I, that I was associated with would be like, once you do that, it's, it's, you're locked in. You can't undo it. It's eternal security. And the more I read as I was older, I was like, man, I don't think that's in there. I think they made that, you know, this doesn't, yeah. I don't think, and my, my view of God became uh, harsher. Um, it's sad because I think, I think, a I think most people subjected to religion that stay in it. I think most people try to twist the Bible to what they personally believe and want to believe and want to believe in front of their neighbors. Mm. And I started more and more just seeing a darker side of it, you know, God, less love and more, a little more Old Testament. Mm. Uh, and I still think it's interesting, like, you know, as someone who doesn't believe in any of it, I, you know, I find it fascinating that modern Christianity, I mean, throughout the ages, I mean, every generation adjusts so that what they what they consider normal is acceptable. Uh, and then every generation looks at the at the younger generation and tells them something that they're doing is not good. Right. <laughs> and then and you know, it, it's adjusted every generation. And and that's good. Overall, I mean, I, you know, and the churches that are progressive and, and don't take issue with things like homosexuality, et cetera. I mean, those are, that's great. It's, it's awesome. But I, I also just think it's just like, you just have to get rid of these old texts. Mm. If, I just think that if you're raised in that world, you can still go back to these old texts and mis misinterpret or properly interpret and come up with some pretty shitty ideas that have made people suffer for centuries and centuries, but we're stuck with it. Yeah. <laughs> and you feel like at that time you were, you were kind of all in on the shitty ideas at that time. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, if, if you want to talk about things that I regret, I mean, I, I, growing up, I thought, I thought, you know, 
I thought Catholics were going to hell. So I, I got my two cousins saved. Wow. You know, I made sure that they said the prayer when we were, you know, six or eight or something. And they, and I don't know what they think about it now. One of them is is a he's an evangelical now, and and he's religious, way more religious than I am, obviously. Uh, but you know, looking back, it's like, and I, you know, I dated a girl that was Catholic in college, and that caused me a lot of suffering trying to figure out if she was going to heaven. You know, wow. what a crazy, which to now, and again, it may not be a crazy concept to the people within the religion. Certainly not. But yeah. to me now, it just seems like insane. I don't, I don't, I'm just trying to think of things like I didn't do. Like I never went to like abortion clinics and picketed that or, you know, I never did anything against gay friends or anything like that. But I had ideas you know, I didn't talk about it necessarily because sure. I was sort of afraid of conflict. But, you know, I had verses I could point to that were like, dude, you're in trouble, man. Like, I can't get around it. With the Old Testament, everyone can eat shrimp. It's fine. But right next to that verse that says you can't is a verse that says homosexuality is an abomination. And it's hard if you're a, a kid raised in religion, it's hard to square that like how's that how's this okay and that's what's weird about to me when i see progressive churches that are welcoming to homosexuals i'm like oh man i wouldn't go in there guys like they're they're gonna switch on you and they're gonna change on you and they're suddenly you know what if they change their mind what if they don't really believe it what mm. if they do turn back to that old testament verse and then like i just to me i just walk away from the whole thing start fresh these again, these old texts of all the world religions, they're flawed. There's good stuff in them, but they're just it's terrifying shit that that fundamentalists in all religions will always go back to to abuse people. That's my view, which sucks because, and that's why I don't get to talk to, about this. Everyone knows I'm anti-religion. Everyone knows I hate it, and especially my own religion, which I can get away with talking shit about my religion, but I can't talk shit about other people's because I can't. You just can't. It's offensive. Yeah. I get it. But uh, the whole thing I just find scary. Okay, so the story leaves off a little bit like after the your divorce when you're 25 or so and then you're going into Chicago and you're doing the yeah. fun. How long are you in Chicago? I was in Chicago till 2003. But I was in that church the last time I went to church ever, that wasn't like a wedding. Uh, voluntarily, as a church participant, was uh, Easter 2000. It was the greatest. It was literally the greatest, one of the greatest days of my life. Wow. It was so good. good. I can't oh, man. wait it to was, hear what this story is. It was crazy. So I was dating this girl I met in Christian college, uh, my friend Daria. She's awesome. But... <laughs> We were dating. Well, we were hanging out. She was living in Chicago. I was coming up to visit. Uh, I was I was starting to go to this church. I ended up moving up there. We didn't. And eventually, we ended up dating. So, I'm in this church, and I have problems with it. But I don't know how to tell anybody that. I don't know how to tell her because she seems very into it. And I don't know how to tell, like, the leadership, uh, you know, I'm just, I feel stuck. 
But I don't feel like I'm not on the verge of being an atheist. I'm just like, I just need a different church or I need someone to hear my thoughts. So we go to church that day and uh, we're supposed to go out to brunch with one of the leaders. You know, he's like 30 or something like that, 32. So we go out to lunch with him and I just- This is Easter day. This is Easter day, yeah. Yeah. Busy, I'm sure. I'm sure it was insane. Yeah. Uh, And we go out and we have this great conversation. And I just, I just say everything I think. And I don't know what the answer is, but I just got to say it all. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not necessarily suggesting that we leave at church. I'm not suggesting that Daria and I break up. I don't know what I'm suggesting. I just need to vent that I have problems with the church. Anyway, we have this great talk. And, and I just, the weight of the world is off me. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm like, this is great. And then Daria and I are, we drove together, I guess, and we're going to drive back to wherever. And, uh, and she's like, hey, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. And so we drive to uh, IHOP. And we sit there. We had just been at lunch for two I was just going to say you went from lunch to brunch I know, to now it's Easter day, uh, IHOP. And she tells me that she's got to break up with me and that it was, you know, God is telling her to break up with me. And, and I'm like, normally you would, you know, getting broken up with is terrible. And I am sitting there. I never seen this come, didn't see it coming. Didn't think of this as an option. I felt very locked into this relationship. And inside I am like, Oh my God, I'm got This is amazing. This is the, I can't believe it. Oh, yes. And so we leave and I'm out. Wow. And I never go back to that church. And, uh, and I honestly, I went home and I, I thought to myself, holy shit, I have, a, I have another shot at this. And I didn't want to get out of religion. I just wanted to slowly find the religion that I actually believed in instead of adjusting my religion based on who I was hanging out with or where, what building I ended up in by accident, you know? Yeah. And so I really was going to, I had this plan, but uh, a couple weeks went by. I didn't do anything. Time slips away. And that at some point, the, uh, one of the leaders, friend of mine, he called up and he's like, you know, like if you leave our church, I was an actual member of it. If you leave it, you have to prove to them that you've joined another one of like faith within a certain amount of time, which made total sense at the time, of course. And uh, he's like, you know, uh, have you joined another church? Are you? And I was like, no, I haven't yet. And he kept asking me. And eventually he was like, you know, they're going to, they're kicking you out. And I was like, oh man, okay. He's like, they're going to do it in front of everybody on Wednesday night. And I was like, that's fine. I, I, I don't have an answer. I'm not going anywhere yet. And uh, they kicked me out. Like behind, you're, you're not there. And then like I'm at, not there. at a meeting, they're all like, just so you know, Jonathan's yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. It's, so like, yeah. don't it's talk like, to Jonathan. Don't call Jonathan. It's a thing. I mean, wow. it sounds dramatic. And it, if you're there and if you're in that church, it is. it feels dramatic because it feels like it's somebody you knew. It's someone that was part of your family and, and they've changed, you know, so it's a little, it's We've a big lost deal. Them. We've lost them it's, to the devil. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, wow. but I just didn't, 
I had the time and I and I thought I had the desire to to find what I really believed. And I just one day the light switch flicked and I was an atheist again, much like I was somewhere in off and on in maybe 95, 96, something like that. And it was just, it was easy. It just happened. It was just, that was it. And you haven't looked back since? No. It was that easy. Good. Perfect place for us to go to our last break, okay? Yeah, great. All right, be back in a minute. God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners and it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. All right, Jonathan, we're in our last segment and we have not talked at all about the effects of you making these choices to leave the church and become an atheist in relation to your family, to your parents, to your sister who is still a missionary today. Uh, How does that play out and how does that play out in your relationships right now? Yeah, that that was big. I don't know what they thought when I was in my early 20s, you know, just kind of back and forth, whatever, I probably didn't share that with them too much. Uh, I probably shared when I was, you know, going through my Keith Green phase, but probably didn't share when I was going through some other phases. But when I left the church, I mean, we it's just kind of, they knew I wasn't going to that, they knew I wasn't dating that girl anymore. And they knew I wasn't going to that church anymore, but I really didn't tell them anything uh, much. And those couple of years, especially those last couple of years in Chicago, I mean, I got into filmmaking and met a whole new crowd. And, and I really actually did start kind of uh, fucking up my life, uh, but secretly, not they didn't know. So I think they were, they were worried in general because uh, I was very uh, adrift. You know, I really didn't have good employment. I didn't have good health. I was insanely skinny. Were you on drugs? Were you on some extreme drugs at the time? Well, no, I just, I drank a lot and I just partied a lot. And I was just, I was having a really great time, you know, because I left the church where I wasn't doing anything, wasn't allowing myself to do anything. And I kind of had just, uh, I kind of just let go that, uh you know, those last couple of years in Chicago. Mm. I don't remember when my father and I really discussed it. I, I remember one night after I moved to LA, I remember one night sitting in a parking lot of like a Starbucks and my sister and I, I don't know if she asked me if I was an atheist or if I just blurted it out, but it was finally after dancing around it so long, I finally admitted it. And uh, it's huge, you know, it's a big deal. It's something my dad and I, we didn't really fully admit to each other, but now they really do know because all they have, like I was talking about eternal security, all they have is in their mind, I'm safe. 
I'm still going to go to heaven because I said that prayer when I was four. Mm. But it's scary. And so they're also also very worried that what if that's wrong? Or, you know, what other trouble is the boy going to get into because he isn't, doesn't have a life grounded in, in faith? Mm. So uh, it sucks. You know, I mean, we just don't talk about it. I don't talk to my grandma about it or my parents or my, you know, aunts and uncles, cousins. It's just one of those subjects. I don't bring it up. I, uh, I'm not really myself around my family in the sense that because I have to play a game where, and they know I'm playing this to some extent, but it's like, we just can't talk about certain things because it's upsetting. So yeah. Yeah. it sucks. It totally sucks. I yeah, hate it. That's uh, hard. Because I'm still learning and I'm still growing up and I still need advice and I still, and I want to get to know everybody better. And uh, it's just the whole side of my personality and my existence that I just can't get into. So it's a bummer. I hate it, you know, but yeah. they're nice about it. They don't really shove their religion down my throat. They know where I come from. They know I don't want to hear it. They're, I would say, as respectful as they can while still loving me from their perspective. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't like it. I don't yeah. like it at all. And then it sucks because I got nieces and a nephew and I don't know what my, I don't know what questions they have because, you know, Uncle Jonathan shows up and he never goes to church and he never, and I can't, I can't tell them how I feel because I am too afraid that what if for some, what if things went wrong and my sister just decided I can't talk to your uncle anymore, you know? So I have like a lot of insecure, it's all insecurities on my end is I'm afraid of being rejected. Mm. So I fake it, not fake it. I don't, I'm not lying anymore, but I still, I, I suppress it all and don't talk about it with anybody so that to avoid the potential of rejection. Yeah, which may be unfair to them. Maybe they're cooler than I think they are. But you know, if I really, if I really pulled back the the skin, would they? You know, what do they really want to see? Yeah. No, I I I get that, and I yeah, I, I feel that. I feel that. One thing that sort of strikes me is: Do you have anyone from your past, from your childhood, or even your high school, college years that you've remained close to? Or have you essentially, is that like your previous life and all of the people that are really, that know the true Jonathan, are they all people you kind of met after 2000? You're good at this, man. You're real good at this, Nick. Um, that's a great question. Uh, it's hard. It was. It's been really hard. I'm very, I move on. I, I just, I have phases. I move on. I run away. I start over. It's a whole, it's a big deal. But my, a few friends from high school, church high school friends, we've stayed in touch and we kind of play that game where they're concerned, but they don't mention it. And I have my ideas and I don't mention it, but we can we love each other, you know, we've known each other since we were kids and we do love each other and we respect each other enough to not harp on each other about shit. And I cherish that. My 
couple nights I get to hang out with my friend Skip every Christmas. I mean, those are great nights. I wouldn't, you know, I'd hate to lose them. Uh, I wish we could talk a little deeper and, and maybe we could, but. It's dangerous. It's dangerous because, you know, I don't, he could tell me he believes something and it doesn't matter to me. I, I don't think it has a lasting effect in essence beyond this world. You know, he might tell me he believes something terrible that they could, you know, whatever. But if I say something, it's like, I could be telling him, hey, one of your old friends is going to burn in hell for eternity. Nobody wants to think about that. So it's some of the people that I, I don't talk to a lot, but I'm really close to, or honestly, some of the people I went to Christian college with, I feel like there's a handful of, of us that came out the other end just fucked up and, and different. And uh, I feel like we all sort of, uh, feel like survivors of a cult or something, mm. uh, including Daria. You know, we uh, Daria's a, a lesbian now. Oh which, wow! We, which her and I both knew before we started dating. But so you know, but oh, wow, there's a so there's a camaraderie there. A big part of it has been sort of uh, I have quarantined myself a bit from church associates just because it's easier. It's mainly, it's a fault in my own is that I'm just afraid. Uh, it's easier for me to start fresh and uh, present the version of me that I want to, <laughs> as opposed to change in front of people and watch them accept or not accept me. Uh, I will admit that I am, uh, yeah, very, I just, yeah, I afraid think, of that rejection. I don't think you're alone in that. but I don't either, <laughs> to be honest. So... This is a good moment to talk about your music and sure. and how it feels like you get to express a lot of this confusion and anger, but also masked in a lot of these very, very funny, there's a lot of humor, but there's a lot of really horrifying imagery. You know, it's steeped in the kind of traditional murder ballads of old folk, you know, um, an old country. There are some of these where you are talking about how much you love someone and then by the end you're burying them. Um, <laughs> but you oh, use yeah. the words devil, you use the words evil. These words still clearly resonate with you and there's something attractive about singing them. And I wanted to kind of get you talking a little bit about how you use music and why you started writing music in this way. Man, I just, I was in another band and I wanted to just do something different. And I picked up a guitar, just play a couple chords and it was just kind of simple stuff. And it just kind of reminded me of, you know, my musical background, just with singing in church and stuff. And all the imagery... And the words, I mean, it's just from a Christian education, you know, someone that was raised on the King James Bible and uh, old songs from the hymn book. What was so fun about that is, you know, you kind of have this simple pseudo country folk Trojan horse. And then within it, you just pack whatever you want. Sing a cute, sweet song and but make it about sex or about murder. And it's just, then that's funny, even if it's, sad and poignant as far as singing about the devil like i said it's just i just think it's like all old rock and roll all old country you know those are church people that are you know they're just 
taken what they learned from singing in church and putting it on a different style of music. I think all my songs on one level or another are basically their stories. And, you know, there's a main character and and oftentimes with mine, there's a a secondary character, you know, a, a lover or a girlfriend or a mother or something like that or an enemy. And I, the thing I love about songwriting is I get to put on these disguises and I say anything I want, like, because I don't view them as, I don't feel like Jonathan is singing them. Even though sometimes I put on a, a Jonathan costume and reveal things that I can't believe I'm saying, and I hope to God no one ever asks me about. <laughs> and I'm, I'm revealing details of my life, like specifics or just emotional information that is fun or cathartic or, like I said, terrifying. And then other times I'm just, you know, I just put on the hillbilly that's horny, you know. <laughs> I put that costume on and then I just say, like, the dumbest shit I can because it's great. It's just like any writer, you know. It's like I feel, in a sense, you can say anything you want because, and, and, and because I'm not, you know, I grew up, you know, you listen to, you know, I used to write all that shitty poetry and I used to listen to all those bands that like those singers were so sad and just wanted you to understand who they were, but never, it's all vague. With a story, you can get very specific. I feel like the, the emotions and the person are within what they do. Mm. Instead of tell me how you feel, like I'll just watch you kill that lady and now I know who the fuck you are. <laughs> I love it. I've always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. And uh, I've, you know, I wrote poems. I wrote short stories. When I was in my 20s, I, I thought I could maybe write movies. Um, and then songwriting was so great because it's quick. It's easy. To me, it's easy and it's fast. And then you get to present it. Where a movie, I can, you could work on a script for a year. And then still only two of your buddies are going to read it and they never make it. And it's like, who cares? You know, where a song, I could write it today, record it in my kitchen and put it online tomorrow. Yeah. And it's alive forever. Yeah. And it's fun. It's just costumes. But like I said, sometimes that costume is you. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we wrote a lot of funny songs, but some of those, we wrote some... Some sad ones too. I mean, I've had people call and be like, Gee, did you think my mom died? I'm like, no, it's just a song about a, you know, it's not about her, but it's a sad, it's that sad. I mean, I've written songs that Angie can barely sing. Mm. You know, it's, it's so sad. You know, it's like, Jesus. But it feels good. I love it. I mean, to me, it's, that's why it's great. You don't go see a movie because it's okay. You're like, I want to see someone. I want to see horror. I want to see someone get their heart ripped out. I want to see action, a chase. I want to see a crazy guy go up to some, you know, I want to see two hillbillies fucking in the back of a truck. <laughs> like, so I just try to write something visual or something that's emotional that's that you remember. Because if it doesn't hit you somehow, what's the point? And if it hits you... It makes you just cry, fuck, or makes you sick or sad. It's great, 
you know, and that, you know, that's, that's great stuff. It's the stuff you remember, you know, most songs nobody remembers. Jonathan, we're getting towards the end of the show here. Yeah. Do you live with this like sense that you could, if your gear shift is like an on or off, right? You're on with religion or you're off with religion. Is that gear shift like gone, done? Do you live with any sense of like a fear of yourself that you could do it again? Uh, I used to get nervous about that. You know, obviously fear of death is, that's huge. You know, I mean, that's half the reason religion exists. That's why we invented it. And why people hold tight to it is we're all afraid we don't know what the hell happens to us after we die. And I don't know what happens either, obviously. I mean, nobody does. Everyone's an agnostic, just most of us don't want to admit it, you know? Mm. I mean, I have this fear. I have. I tell myself from time to time, don't do it. When death comes knocking, don't, you know, yeah. don't wuss out and give in. Don't say, <laughs> you know, you're fine. <laughs> like, it's fine. And what are the chances? If there is an afterlife, what are the chances you picked the right one and that you said the right prayer? Like, just roll with it. Have some <laughs> dignity in the end. And don't let, you know, and watch out because if you're on those drugs, don't let your sister tell the, you know, your aunt that, oh, no, he he asked for final forgiveness. We read in the last, we're like, get the fuck away from me. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I have that fear because I, I've seen me and, and I'm, the closer it gets, I mean, yeah, it'll probably be scary as hell, but but otherwise, if anything, I've tried to just lighten up in general. Uh, I mean, I just you know, my my I just live by basically the golden rule. That's my morality. If it causes suffering, don't do it. I'm not active, and I'm not very vocal, and I'm not very adamant because I I've been <laughs> I've been the uh, I've been a zealot and I don't want to even, I just don't want to get too excited or worked up in any direction, though that may be not the right way to live. But, uh, you know, I just, I get afraid of my own uh, enthusiasm sometimes Mm -hmm. and my own ability to, you know, tell somebody else that I know what the hell's going on and that they don't. So I just, I kind of just keep it chill. Okay, that's a really lovely stop. But I do want to just, I have, I could have one more minute. I just want to ask this question. Yeah, go for it. Do you have any, what would be called spiritual practices today that take the place of these old thoughts? No, I don't have any spiritual practices at all. Um, I, yeah, I, I, and I, and I, I've thought, you know, I hear people, oh, I do TM and I go, I'm not, get the hell away from me. Like, I'm, I'm afraid of it. What is TM I'm, again? I'm rep- uh, transcendental meditation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm turned off by it. I'm afraid of it. I feel like every step in, every step to me in a spiritual direction is a step away from some other religion or some other cult or some other bullshit. Uh, and, and it sucks because... I have issues. I have things that <laughs> solved, you know, maybe some meditation would help. Maybe some yoga would help. Maybe there's nothing really scary about Buddhism. I could read some of that, but I'm <laughs> just so, 
I got out. I got the whole way out. And just any, all that stuff just, just kind of freaks me out. So I just avoid it for fear that, I don't know why. I just, I'm just turned off by all of it. You know, even though I know they're like I said, Taoism's got some cool shit in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but you were too, it was too much. You know, that's your story. Much. It was too much. Yeah, was you, too much. You tapped out. I did. I did. It was exhausting, emotionally exhausting. Jonathan, I had a lot of fun listening to this story. Thank you Me very too, much. Man. Thank you. Thank <laughs> okay. you. I had a lot of fun listening to my own story. The thing sucks is, it's weird because you and I, we've met. I I recall these meetings or at least one of them, but we haven't talked. I feel like I have to start my own podcast so I can have you on and get the other side of your story. I hope you're filling in the audience on your background throughout all these because uh, I don't feel like I gave you... Well, it's not my show. Well, look, uh, occasionally people want to know more about me. They're like, you should have your own episode where it's devoted to you. But to me, me, the thing is that they get me. I come in every once in a while and say a thing or two, but I, I really, I, it's about, it's about you, man. This is your show. And I, I loved it. I loved it. And I, I think this is kind of a broken record for me on my show, but I mean it so sincerely. I, I I really appreciate when a guest like you comes on and is very generous and open about these times in their life and these feelings in their life that are vulnerable. I learn things and I feel really close to people and I feel close to the world when I hear this stuff. For me, it works in that way. I feel, I like to say that it's like a moment, we all try to have a moment of presence. You know, the spiritual gurus, whoever that you talk to in whatever religion, they try to get you into the present. And I feel yeah. like in these moments, I feel very present with somebody else as I hear about them, talk about the times in their life, that all these really important things in their life that we all have to go through from whatever from whatever prism we were brought into the world. And so it's really cool. I love your story and I really appreciate you sharing it, man. Oh, man, I really appreciate it, Nick. This was a great time. All right, everyone. Thank you all for listening. Let me start this question over. I've, I've, I've realized I've wrapped myself up in a bow here. <laughs>